Greetings and welcome to Inside the Master's Studio, a behind-the-screens look into the art of GMing. This week we're joined by Aaron Catano. Hello everyone, welcome all. I'd like to start from the very beginning. How did you first get involved with tabletop gaming? So, very coincidentally, I got involved in tabletop gaming through Jeff. Uh, my podcaster, co-host in crime, Jeff Stormer, when we were in, I think, like, late high school, early college, I had always wanted to try Dungeons & Dragons, but, like, you need people to do it, and you need enough people to know about it. And this is, like, in 2005, so it's not like I – it's not like it was also, like, out there. So I had to – it was almost like Jeff giving me, like, a drug deal. He's like, hey, you want to try something really cool? I was like, yeah. He's like, it's called Dungeons & Dragons. So Jeff pulled me in. I made a bard, and – uh so it's all Jeff's fault. He he pulled me into this dark world of dragons and dungeons. Did you actually get to play with your first character? Yes, I did. And it was awful. I had no idea what I was doing. Um all I read I don't know what we were playing third edition maybe, uh but all I remember doing as a bard was trying to fascinate everything that I came across because I didn't know how to really get equipment. So I was afraid to use the bow that I didn't know I had. So I was either swinging a rapier or using fascinate. It was a nightmare. Kudji the bard did not get much done in the barding or combat or conversational department. Kudji was useless. How long did you play as Kudji? I think we had one. We had one game of Dungeons Dragons like classic fantasy. And then we moved over to uh, a post-apocalyptic game, uh, D20 modern. And so I was teen sensation, Ashley Fask. I was a celebrity. So basically like a bard, but using a shotgun, that was, we had about two or three games of that. And that is, that was probably the most tabletop. That's probably the game I played the most was as Ashley Fask teen sensation. It was, it was amazing. I love Ashley Fask. I want to bring him back so bad. Did you tend to have more fun playing your characters or coming up with new characters? It's a lot of both. It's kind of really what led to the all my fantasy children. Um, I love, I, I won't lie, I like creating the character a lot more than playing it. And that's not true. I like it equal, to be honest. It's a nice blend of both, because if you create a character with a solid enough uh, backstory and you have a good knowledge of who they are, you can make really cool, informed decisions that are actually in character and not just like, I think this would be clever, or I think this is what would throw off the GM. It's like you get to really think about what the character would do in this scenario that makes sense to what they want and why they're on the journey they're on. And it makes for more interesting gameplay the more in-depth your character is. Did you get the opportunity to take over the role of GM? I did. I, I did once. Uh, I did once playing traditional just Dungeons & Dragons uh, in like 2006. I, I gave a whack at it, and I wanted to make a really weird campaign where everyone had one superpower... And we kind of went from there, like, everyone is really overpowered, and I tried to throw as many obstacles that didn't involve combat at them as a result. That was very interesting. I was terrible, because this is like 2006, I didn't know what I was doing, but I wanted to try. 
And then I uh, DM'd recently, just thrown together a Roll20.net game with a few friends, and I enjoyed that a lot. It was nice, uh, but I get caught up in just talking about, like, the overall story. I I struggle to enforce the rules of Dungeons & Dragons. I just kind of let people do whatever they want, and I'm like, oh, we'll make sense of it, and we'll fudge it. But I do enjoy it. I, I'd like to do more of it. I do. I love playing the game a lot. I love playing any tabletop game, and God, I would love to be given the opportunity to GM. As a player, do you think that the rules are more important than the story? Oh, no. Um, I, I really don't think so. No. I think the story is the most important part of any campaign. I mean, I'm not saying that you have to throw the rules out the window, but I don't think the rules should limit the player's experience. Because uh, ultimately, everybody is just playing to have fun and tell a really cool story. But uh, the rules are kind of put there to set restrictions and make sure that the story is told well, I, in my opinion, uh, and that the GM can kind of make sense of the decisions that the players want to do in, order, in telling their story and the DMs. So I think it's, once again, I think it's a nice mix of both. Uh, rules are important, but for me, the story is um, the most important thing. Because that's, that's, that's where all the meat is. It's not about casting the fireball. It's about why you casted the fireball and why did you do it and to get what result? What were you after when you shot that fireball that did like 8d6 damage? Wanting to focus on the story more. Do you have concerns that it would make you more likely to railroad the party? Well, you have to have flexibility. Um, it's uh, railroading. I, I nah, it depends on what your goals are as like the GM. Because um, if your idea is to just like if you have a set story that is unchanging and your characters are sort of like basically running in like a House of the Dead rail type shooter, then like you're not going to have a good time. So. Railroading your party is fun, but once again, as long as it's conducive to telling the actual story and uh, working with, because it's a collaborative process. I, I never like the idea that it's like the player versus the GM, and their whole goal is to undermine the game master and solve the puzzles that they've put into place and get the better of them. I like to think of it as like a cool collaborative process where the players try to tell their character stories. The GM has the overall arc that uh, wants the players to experience. And the both of them work together to get the most out of both the character story and telling the best overall story as possible. So anyone trying to railroad that or derail it or just kind of like ruin it, I've always thought that was kind of detrimental to the overall experience of why you pick up a fantasy game if it's unless it's like some kind of fun joke campaign where you're just messing with each other. But if you're really trying to tell a great story and have compelling characters, it should sort of be a cooperative process between all parties, even if the DM is throwing traps and trying to kill your characters. Has Jeff Stormer, your co-creator for All My Fantasy Children and host of the Party of One podcast, had the opportunity to take you through the more freeform RPGs where it is purely collaboration between the two players. Oh, no. I've only actually had the opportunity to play, like, Scarlet Heroes, Dungeon World, and uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, The Funnel with Jeff, and Classic Dungeons & Dragons. 
I haven't had the opportunity to play any of the games where it's sort of like a D, uh, GM-less game. It's always something I'm very interested in because I listen to his show and I'm always really interested in those games, but they kind of confound me and I'm afraid of them because I don't know if I would do a good enough job or as good a job as he and his guests do. So I haven't had the opportunity yet, but that is, of course, you know, it could always change. So speaking of all my fantasy children, how did that first get started? It first got started uh, with me popping into Jeff's show, um, and I had a great time on Party of One, and I know I wanted to collaborate with Jeff on something, because I know that when we get together and we start talking and like the fun starts flowing, uh, it's always been such a hilarious experience for me. It's always just been such a positive thing that I wanted to try to combine our powers and create something cool. And I kind of pitched the idea of, I want to, my strong suit is like just character creation from my background in like theater and stuff. And Jeff is a tabletop god. So I think I thought that taking two of our strengths and putting them together would be a really cool idea. And I wanted to go some, I wanted to tread in some turf that like wasn't just an actual play. Because I'd love to do an actual play with Jeff, but he's got that. I wanted something that's like new for both of us. So why not a podcast where every single episode we make a character that who knows, we could maybe the original idea was maybe plug into uh, an actual play later on for other people to play and just create like a group of a, a myriad of random characters and random worlds that are ready to go and like their character sheets are all drawn up. So, yeah, it kind of started from just, I wanted to, Jeff and I wanted to combine our strengths and powers into creating something cool and new. How many attempts at starting the podcast before you actually felt satisfied enough? Actually, like, the first one we ever recorded, Samuel Gord was the first swing at it. Um, that's why we always try to keep it. It's like, this is episode zero, guys. This is the pilot. We truly were like, let's try to wing a pilot and we'll see if there's something there. Um, we may never release it. Um, but we wanted to test, uh, we wanted to test the waters and see if it was actually something we could move forward with. And so we banged out an episode and it came out pretty well. It was rough. We had no idea what we wanted for format. We were just pulling from every resource we had, like DM guides, my old actor questions from like undergrad, anything we could think of. And we were really satisfied with what came out. And we were like, oh, let's move forward with this. F it. Let's, let's kind of throw caution to the wind and put this online. And we'll just keep making episodes and try to improve on the format. Like it's still growing now how we make each episode. And I've always liked that, that there hasn't ever been like a set equation uh, for each episode. And so, yeah, it really was like just we tried one thing and it we had all, we had a lot of fun with it. And so we just kind of wanted to make another one and hoped that other people listened to it and enjoyed it as much as we did making it. When did it really start to feel like a cohesive world to you? Oh, gosh. Um, I think when it started feeling like a world to me was uh, the big Jeremy episode. Um, we used Central Casting, uh, the tables book, for the first time. And 
we started seeing that like we were making more and more of like a well flushed out and well developed worlds using these tables and just justifying each role and figuring out what that tiny detail means and the overall story of a goat man that we wanted to tell. And that was when I started kind of being like, maybe this could be one big world and this is just one place in it and Samuel Gord's in another. But yeah, once we started really getting the hang of creating uh, places is where it kind of started sinking into us, I think, that this could be uh, one big story and one big lore-filled bonanza. Was definitely Big Jeremy, um, Wizard, and all those. Like once after, After Big Jeremy, I think it started to kind of steamroll and pick up, and we started seeing that we started getting better at creating a world per episode, and then we decided just to take those that we've already made and just kind of smash them together and also just see what happens and see if it was fun. Everything has been sort of experimental forever since the conception of it sort of been experimental in nature. Now, some of the earlier episodes wouldn't seem to fit into the collective universe like Johnny Orko. Are there plans to bring him in? Yes, uh, there are plans. We don't know how... Because we want it to be good. We, we, we love Johnny Orko and we know that, um, we've right now we have like a fantasy, traditional fantasy world with like, you know, cell phones and cars and stuff. Cause we don't care. It's like a really weird version of a traditional fantasy world. But how to incorporate sci fi into that? Well, and still in the same vein of what our kind of brand is, is like fun and silly but still like kind of makes sense at the end of the day has been really difficult, but we're working on it because we did it once we did it with slip Willis. We took Tolkien out and made it kind of work to fit our world. And I'd like to take stuff like Johnny Orko and trans Halford and who, I don't even know, maybe like Skylar Morrison, the weird ones and Pelter and make them somehow make sense. It's just, it's just a matter of doing it. Well, Um, we really are kind of like, we love, the randomness of each episode. And we love crafting something from nothing. But then we also do like incorporate when we do incorporate it into the bigger picture of the world of fantasy, we do like taking some care and making sure that it fits instead of just being kind of shoved in there. And that's why Johnny Orko is like this precious child to us because it's this horribly depressing story about this like space general who does awful things on other planets how to fit that into our world will be a challenge that I'm excited about, but I want it to be good and I want it to make sense and I want it to fit in and have that kind of, oh, wow, that, that works really well moment. Cause that's how I, that's how we feel about Slip Willis. How that kind of got incorporated in was one of our stronger moments of, ooh, that makes a lot of sense. And we just will definitely want to continue that kind of way of telling stories and, incorporating the earlier episodes that are some of our more like precious children because god it was just such a random random creation process with the new characters you create do you feel the need to automatically connect them to fantasy within their episode or are you fine with putting them into a void and letting other people start to make the connections 
See, that that is a really good question because I struggle with this a lot. I am always uh, wanting to automatically, I don't know why, like when we're recording, my first thoughts are always like, oh boy, how does this fit into the narrative? And I know that's a pitfall. So dodging that pitfall, excuse me, has been very difficult. Um, I try to stay away from it, but it's very hard. Because it's, it's because we have such a, I have so many lore things and history about this world in my head that I want to get to. So having the temptation to just jump at those and bite at them and plug this character into that thought is so tempting. Um, and staying away from it is very difficult. So yeah, there is, there is a temptation there that I try to avoid. And I know Jeff very actively does try to avoid just plugging them into the world. Like, we try to just make the character as they are first. We try to see who they are, what they're all about, what they want, what their life is. And then if it fits into fantasy, so be it. And if it doesn't, they kind of just sit on the shelf. And we get to look at them and go, oh, that was a really fun one. I liked that. But it's, it is hard not just shoving them into the world automatically because it's, it's easier to be like, oh, this new character, um, Bob the Woodchopper, oh, well, he just chopped down the haunted forest. It's it's easy. But we try, as corny as this sounds, we really try getting to the core of who the character is first and then fitting them into the world. And anymore, we're trying to always be mindful of they don't have to fit into the world. They can just be a one-off. They can just be a fun little aside. When you are making the connections between characters, do you worry about oversaturating the world with any particular character? Uh, yeah, once again, yeah, that is a really great question. Yeah, it's really hard not to play favorites because some of the characters have a lot deeper lore than the others. Like a lot of the story as a whole that we're kind of endless, the whole message of being a good person and changing, fixing mistakes of the past and becoming a better person and working together to build like a great future that is at the core of a lot of the characters that we do harp on, like Arthur and Jeremy and Slip Willis and all that. So it's hard not to bring them up a lot. And it's hard not to love some Craig Hasterberg. It's he's an easy, easy guy to hate, but it's really fun to talk about. And we are just unabashedly willing to blab on and on about Craig Asterberg. There's a lot of stories that are fun to tell. I love talking about the badass Aardvark King. I'm a sucker for it. Um, I find myself slipping into that a lot where I'm like, hmm, what if Arthur could be crammed into the story? No, 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 no. Stay away from it. But it's it's hard because I'm actively trying to write a really big picture thing and so not dragging in the characters that have deep deep connections to the overall story pulling them into everything has been another pitfall that i try to not fall into so yeah that is a real thing where i struggle to be like hey jeff what if this guy is because i i'm making trick small men uh, spoilers is big Jeremy's dad was like I I felt great about that but afterward I was like oh, I hope we're not talking too much about big Jeremy he's just such a great character and it fits so well um and I hope we don't talk about like Arthur and dragons too much it's it's just easy because it's they're cool I like telling cool stories and so does Jeff we love talking about badasses and cool tales of triumph and defeat so it's hard not to tell the stories of our more badass characters 
repeatedly, like Shao Clown. <laughs> Are there any aspects of characters that you specifically don't want to expand upon just to leave that mystery for the fans? Yes, uh, there are tons of those. Particularly, it's always going to be like what they look like and stuff like that. I never want to get into that stuff because I, ugh, I'm just not interested. Unless it's like it's a beast man, she's a dog. Um, but yeah, there's tons of like fun mystery that I God, I just want to tell everybody the things that I'm thinking. But there are some things that are just better left speculated, and it's kind of more fun that way. Like uh, my my perfect example is like, where does Arthur come from? How old is he? It's something that, like, I really don't ever want to get into because I enjoy the mystery of this aardvark king with, like, a godlike strength and a mysterious past that we kind of hint at. Um, but it's more fun to be thinking of him as this mysterious figure. And, yeah, it's it's a lot more fun to leave some things out to just be kind of pondered over as opposed to just, I mean, we may get into it. Who knows? Yeah, I like certain mysteries, but I also, I, I am one that I crave content. I claim, I crave explanations of lore. So it drives me nuts to leave things a mystery uh, to the listeners when I have thoughts myself. But I think sometimes that's just better. Some things are just le better left mysteries. It's just fun. Are there any mysteries that you and Jeff put in specifically to see what the fans say on Discord for their headcanon? Yes. Uh, well, I mean, we we're in, I doubt, I don't know yet. We haven't talked about it, but we talked about it, but we don't want to really talk, like, where is Madame Mysteria? Like, you're the character from your prompt. Like, where is she? What happened? I don't know if we'll ever know. We might know, but I like, like, that. That is, for me, the, it's so much fun to be like, whoa, she defeated Lemony Locust? Then what? What happened? Well, she's gone. Where? I don't know. It's a it's a fun thing that as we keep developing because it's it's fun. My my thought process is is we continue to develop deeper and deeper lore to this world and the mysteries of this world are uncovered. It's uh, hopefully gonna be able to fuel more and more speculation and more and more headcanons about what these certain unexplained things might mean and what they what the future might hold with future mysteries when they come up. It's like ooh, is it that? Huh, because like little things like Samuel Gord's dead, but if a necromancer can call someone back and keep them tethered to like an object or have them around as like a companion, doesn't that mean that the dead can just be brought back? Can it? Is that how it works? Because that's how it works with a skeleton, but can it work like that with people who have like their whole form? But if a necromancer is only taking what they hear and they're interpreting it, how will that ever be an accurate representation of the dead? It's like those kind of fun mysteries that we love just leaving open for interpretation. Would you want to have a definitive world map for fantasy? Or is that also something you want to keep vague? I would. I would. I don't. I lack that skill. I could never in a million years. I know there are artists who specialize in maps. Like, I met someone whose specialty is, like, creating maps. That's their art. And I thought it was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. But after I saw that, I kind of was like, well, I don't want to ever go tripsing around this territory thinking that I can do a good job. Because if we were going to release some kind of canonical map, I would want it to be, 
like, I, I am a perfectionist. I love things that are done well. I like doing good job and doing something that I can be proud of and that Jeff and I can look at and be like, we're very satisfied with this work. This looks great. And I know that both of us, we couldn't make a map, but it's something that I'd be interested in working on and trying to decide where these things are. Cause we say things like East and West and the North and we have different regions and countries. So I'm not sure if uh, a world map is the best scenario, but it's something that excites me a lot at the thought of just hammering out where things are in relation to everything in this world as it continues to grow and expand. Have you and Jeff ever talked about how much of the world you want shaped by fans in Discord? Well, um, we're always open to uh, suggestions, but I will. we will always hold true to the fact that if it's not in the show, it's probably not canon. If it's not in the audio medium or some kind of official thing that we have released, it is not canonical yet. Because that's kind of just how we'll keep things in order. Because we've talked about a lot of cool headcanons and a lot of cool speculation. But it's kind of, uh, at the end of the, when this is all said and done, I'd like to look back on it and have it sort of like documented what we actually decided was concrete canonical. And everything makes sense and everything is kind of great. And then if we want to make a game from it, or if we want to have like a spinoff podcast, which is probably never going to happen, but the game aspect, like if we ever wanted to have a thing where it's a game based in the history of this world or based in the story of this world, I would want something that is concrete canonical. And so I would say that I, I, I love how much input the fans have and how many, because so much of the show, as you well know, how much of the plot that we have and the stories that we've told in the lore is based on conversations that we've had in Discord and suggestions that we've all built on as like a little community. But if it's not in an episode, I will say it's not canonical just because it would be very difficult to keep track of uh, what is and what isn't. And like, I, I'd, I'd like to stay away from, in I hate inconsistencies in lore. I hate it. I hate it so much. It's so frustrating. As someone who plays a lot of JRPGs and there's so many plot holes and so many devices that are terrible, it's something that I've always tried to stay away from. And so, yeah, I do love that fans and listeners help shape the show. And yeah, I encourage as many headcanons as people got to keep firing away. Because you and Jeff have such a close relationship with the fan community, do you have any concerns about the podcast becoming more of a fan service than staying true to its own character? That is a great question. Um, Jeff and I talk about this a lot because uh, we have very strong opinions about we we do our absolute best. We care very much for not being... We don't tell fan store fan service stories. We really strive to stay away from that. We do, I mean, we're obviously taking prompts from our listeners and we're seeing, I mean, we we like the direction that we are going and we like to stay true to our product that is an obvious collaboration between the prompt giver, but we will always tell the stories that we think need to be told or should be told. And they're going to reflect the lives of listeners and the feelings of listeners. 
but uh, it will never turn to complete fan service like, oh, someone asked for more sheep in an episode, so we're going to shove sheep in it. If that's the case, it's because Jeff and I wanted to talk about sheep, or we thought that was a really great idea, and we're just going to take it. It's never going to be to, like, wink at the audience and let them in on some joke and, like, hey, guys, like, we're giving you exactly what you want. We have certain things that we want to tell, and we have an overall picture of what Jeff and I like. Um, God, like, if that was the case, uh, I mean, I I don't even uh, – I don't tell any stories or make anything canonical without Jeff's approval because it's a 50-50 split, but – in that regard, the both of us have really strong commitment to this is this is the story that we're telling. And you were telling it with help from our listeners. But it is ultimately a story that we are telling and we're going to hold true to what we want to do with it. And that's not in a selfish way. I just mean it, it's an easy way to get derailed on what your goals are for a show if you get too fan servicey. It's never something that Jeff and I have enjoyed in the past when enjoying fiction, and so it's something we've been striving to stay away from from the beginning of the show. When did you decide to make taking prompts from the audience as part of the show? Let me actually let me look. I have my little notebook with me where I was brainstorming uh, like almost a year ago. Let me let me take let me take a peek real quick. Okay. Oh, um, it, it started actually my, ugh, God, I had this terrible idea for a podcast that I pitched to Jeff. I was like, do you think this is a cool idea? It was a, a podcast called Playing Favorites where Aaron, uh, gets a suggestion. I, I ask someone, like I would ask you, what is your favorite video game of all time? And then I would play it. And then I would, we, you and I would talk about it and I'd interview you about it and like our experience having played it, when you played it, how that affected your life and things like that. Um, and then that kind of was the inspiration of taking a listener suggestion of just like getting, uh, taking in feedback from listeners and other people and having some sort of collaboration with them and involving them in the process of doing a podcast. I've always liked that. I've always liked when a listener feels like they're involved. I love it because they are. It's it's a it's a such a good feeling to be like, oh, I helped make that. I love it. It's like it's a lot of to do with like when you uh, I've run stage crew and plays before. When you see your name in the back, you're like, I helped make that. Did you enjoy that play? I helped make that, and I'm glad you enjoyed. It. I wasn't on stage. You didn't see me, but I helped build that. And that kind of feeling is something that I wanted to uh, just convey and shoot out with this podcast. And that was kind of the idea behind taking listener suggestions and spinning it. And also, if Jeff and I just had to pull from whole cloth, it would be the most, you know, him and I would fall into our storytelling habits and we would, I would have a story of a samurai every single episode. Or I would have a story of like, it, my, all, my, all my ideas are anime or JRPG as hell. You know, so I would rather take ideas from other people and try to collaborate with that as opposed to just Jeff and I sitting going, uh, why don't we just tell another story about cowboys with magic guns? Okay, let's do it. This is a lot more fun. This can be, and it adds an elephant, an element of difficulty for us that we sometimes get prompts that we got nothing. And it's a kind of a challenge to see if we can make something from it. And that's something that I love about that. It's the perfectionist in me. It's, it's the, I like to challenge myself. And I know Jeff likes to challenge his abilities as a storyteller as well. So yeah, that's definitely where that comes from. 
with the two of you having such a long history together, do you have to avoid in jokes? <laughs> we <laughs> we lean right into them. Um because we, the whole show is full of local references from uh, where Jeff and I grew up. And, I mean, we, we plug them in just kind of for each other to laugh at and for anybody in that region. But we try to include everyone in the joke. Like, Iron Hill is a brewery in South Jersey. Um, you know, um, things like that. Uh, wild, the Wildwood, Rhinel's Hammer is an ocean town in New Jersey. Uh, it's, we, we don't avoid in jokes. We can have them, but as long as we let the listener in on them, I don't think that they're like a rude exclusion of the listener, like pushing them out. But no, I think the, the history that Jeff and I have as such good friends and just like experiencing high school together and just struggling all through that. And the, just the life that we've lived, uh, together to this point is, uh, what makes the podcast so uh, welcoming, I think, because Jeff and I aren't like feeling each other out every episode and trying to see where we, we usually are on a similar page and we can kind of let you in and you're the third person in our conversation. And I think that's what our, one of our biggest strength is, strengths is in this podcast is that we have tons of in-jokes and we have a similar stupid sense of humor where we go off on tangents and like our intros, they're ridiculous. But that level of comfort that I have with Jeff and talking to him about these things and that level of safety where I can just throw out any idea and Jeff will be like, cool, cool, cool. Even if he's like, well, no, what if we did this? We have a level of friendship and familiarity where that's totally fine. And I'm willing to go in any direction because I trust him in, I trust him completely with his storytelling abilities and with his, I just trust him completely. And I just, uh, the goal is so that you're kind of just, you're in the room with us sitting at the round table. Your mic just may be turned off. But you're there, and we're, like, talking right at you and, like, trying to tell you this story. So, yeah, in-jokes are awesome. I think they're fun and stupid, and they make me laugh. And it makes me smile to think that uh, our little tiny towns in South Jersey have become, like, mythical places. It, it makes me very happy. In the notebook you have, are there any ideas that you'd come up with that you'd decided not to go with that you look back on now and feel like you avoided stepping out of mine? Oh, I mean, yes, there are plenty. Would you like to know some of the uh, titles of all my fantasy children that never got to see the light? Thank God. Uh, let's see. I'm going to guess Aaron and Jeff baby makers. <laughs> oh God. Um, no. Yeah, like page one of this book is literally uh, JRPG podcast ideas. Like, okay, so then, <laughs> then we move into, um, oh man. Yeah, I had Jeff as my first episode scheduled to talk about Chrono Trigger. And then I was like, oh, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about character creation. Um, okay, let me see. Oh boy, these are really bad. Hold on. Uh... My time on Party of One. Yeah, I have notes for all my Party of One appearances. Oh, here we go. All right, here we go. <laughs> God. Rolling OCs, like original characters, and in parentheses, please steal. OC, please steal. Making friends, Stormcat. Original characters by Stormcat. Catstorm, the quest for OCs. Stormcat, the rise of heroes. And then it that's this is when it started to make a little more sense to me. All my OCs, birth of heroes. Stormcat, all our children. 
all our OC children. And then on the next page, it says, making an adventurer and all my fantasy children. So, yeah, this book is full of just shitty ideas and just stupid crap. Well, I mean, also, the question of, like, I'm glad I didn't step on a landmine, uh, everything, 90% of every episode is made up. We improv fucking everything. Nothing is really premeditated. When I talk about, like, writing lore, it's just because I'm writing, like, the deep stuff that we may never even get to, and that's kind of what it's going to help Jeff and I make sense when we're in a bind We'll have something to think about. Uh, like the whole entire reason of the history episode was like, okay, moving forward, we have to kind of have lore about this world. If we're going to say that there's a world here and that there's magic and that there's this and there's that, we have to have some kind of foundation to build upon. We're going to improv everything. Every episode is completely improvisational. However, we have to have something to pull from or else we're going to have random and bad stories. Um, I'd rather not repeat like the randomness of Johnny Orko where we're just like, what's the next awful thing that we can put this character through? It's just something that I don't like. Uh, we want to tell like a beginning of Millen and in something that's uh, found like the fun thing about Lord of the Rings and all these and like, uh, what's another one? Like the Dark Tower for me is that there's a history to these worlds that affects the present. And it's something really cool, and there's a mystery to the the history of the world, um, just like in our own. It reflects real life, and it reflects how people react in that world and how people live their lives. And that's something I wanted to create in our little world so that we can say when someone is uh, a powerful mage, it's like, okay, did they study the magic? Do they know about the ley line? Because if they do, they're very powerful. But if they don't, they're ordinary. And it's just helping us create something that's more than just, you know, goofing around and telling jokes into a microphone about D&D uh, stories and, like, cliches. It, it's allowed us to make something, I think, deeper by creating a history. So there's not a lot that's, like, stepping on a landmine. Oh, I'm glad I avoided that because I don't really write anything that isn't, like, this is what the elves are because I only did that because I wanted to have something a little different than, like, we don't uh, something different than the standard elf of just like they're immortal and they have pointy ears. It's I love what we what what Jeff really what Jeff and you in our Discord like we helped come up with with the talk of the tides and all that stuff. What's the process for picking a prompt for your next character? The process of picking a prompt. Well, we do it literally right before we record. Um, I'm like, did you see, did you see any this week that you liked? And he's like, yeah, I see this one. And he sent it to me and I'm usually like, cool, let's do it. Or if I have one or we see it and we're like, no, we can't, that'll be too hard. It's usually ones that aren't too much and aren't too little. Some, there's a sweet spot of information, uh, and lack of joke. You can't play a joke in an improv. Uh, you just can't, it doesn't, the improv won't work. And it kind of goes the same with us telling a story because you can't tell a story if you just have to, if it's just about a joke, then you're just playing at a joke. Um, there's prompts that we see that are just like simple and great. And there are some that are super complex, but it's just a level of it's if the prompt is just describing a character or a setting or a magical item, those are the best. If it's, Something like, I don't know, a miner 
who left his helmet at home? Actually, that might be cool. But uh, but if it's like a miner who has no, never mind. A miner with pickaxes for hands might be great as well. But it's just those joke ones that we did. They're hilarious and they're amazing. And I love we love reading them. We send them to each other and we chuckle. But telling a story around it would be, I don't think for our show it it wouldn't work well and we only know this because we have tried and we have failed and that is why we have the current little like uh guidelines that we do is because we have episodes that we tried doing a funny prompt and being like this is gonna be hilarious and then when we got there we're like this prompt is funny but we are not we are sucking this is not as good as the prompt and so we try to pull from stuff that we can actually build upon uh something uh, like has a solid foundation like samuel gord is a solid foundation a farmer who was salty ever since he got second place at the state annual pumpkin festival like that's not anything about the character it sets up like a location it sets up a person it's like an improv sketch and it allows us to just build layer upon layer upon layer of that and always let us go back to the prompt to keep adding more layers and developing flavors in our ham and just uh, building something cool. But if there are certain specifics, uh, if there are certain specificities that limit what we can layer, that's when it gets hard. And that's when usually the prompt in our episode crashes and burns. If it was like, and his name is Samuel Gord and he lives in a pumpkin we'd have to be like, okay, so we have to make a person who is a farmer who lives in a pumpkin, um, and then we have to pull from that, which we could do, but I like when we can build something truly organic and something truly our own from it. So there is no, like, there's no set guideline. It's just some are easier to work with than others. Is it ever a problem when you have too much time to think about a prompt? And so you write too much. I try to stay away from that. I see prompts and I'm like, that's dope. That's cool. Nice. Retweet, retweet, retweet. Uh, But I don't write about prompts because that would be me committing to a part of the story that we haven't told on air yet. So everything that I've wrote lore wise and that I've asked Jeff to comment on. And then Jeff is like, but what if it was like this? What if Arthur's glasses did this? You're like, oh, shit. So, yeah, there is a problem where I will obsess over certain topics, but um, we don't, we try not to stew on the prompts too much. We, can, we don't try not to get married to the prompts. Like, we'll get some, and basically our phone burns together, and we're like, oh my God, did you see that? That was so, like, I won't lie, when we saw yours, we were like, that's so good, the Mysteria one. Our, we, were, we were both like, ooh, this is real good, but we gotta let it go. We, we, but we gotta let it go. We gotta let it go. Uh, until we record, because we don't want to premeditate anything. We That would be a recipe for a disaster. It's hard not to get little ideas, but we make sure to throw them out the minute we start. Like, we just get rid of them, so we can start working together and building something together. Have you considered any way to work in side characters that would not work as a focus of an entire episode, but you still like the prompt and want to somehow work them into the world yes uh a big part a big thing that we that jeff introduced was in the swiftwind episode like a second prompt where the story is about swiftwind but the messenger sword was a second prompt 
So that is something I'd like to do more. It's just hard mid-episode to remember that when we're on a roll, because we're just like, I have to, we edit aggressively. We cut out a lot of conversation to make it within that sweet spot of like 35 to 50 minutes, um, preferably 48 minutes uh, after like the outro. Yeah, we want to definitely start incorporating more prompts per episode, like uh, Rhinel had two. Um, the last one had more than one. And we definitely want to continue to add in different prompts as like, but it, it's just hard because I don't, ha- I don't face my computer when I record. So I don't have Twitter up. It's off to my right. So I could turn and my mouth has to do this and it sounds really bad. So it's hard for me to incorporate more than one, but I definitely, it's something I definitely want to incorporate more. So we get more suggestions from listeners. We get more characters created or we get different things that can alter the current character that we're talking about based on what you guys send to us. Cause I think that's when it's really cool when it's like five different prompts layered into one character. Because it's a weekly show and the time between somebody having a prompt picked can be so long. How do you keep the enthusiasm up for submitting prompts? Oh God, it's, it's very hard. I understand that there is a very big difficulty with submitting your prompt and wanting it to get picked, we we do scroll so far down. When we look at prompts and we look for new ones to, when we look for ones to use for an episode, do not think that we are just going to like the the microphone on top of our latte. We are digging down to the bottom of the cup every single time because we want to make sure that we didn't miss any. There was one I think from a while ago. It was I think for Amy. Uh, Amy's episode, it was literally at like the bottom, like when we first started taking submissions. And it's something that after that, we were like, we have to do this every single time. I got that last prompt from Joe Pavelka, like honestly, four months ago. So it's not so much as like, make sure you're constantly spamming us so that we, you know, so that you're at the top of the queue. Like, feel free to spam, but there is no queue. We're always still going to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. Like, the process of, did you see a prompt? It's because, like, a half hour before we record, both of us sit down and just, like, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling to when pretty much, like, we hit August of last year. And we're just digging. And we... You know, it depends on our mood, too, because there are some that are, like, dark and some that are, like, really bright. And sometimes it just has to fit our mood. But rest assured that your prompts are read and they are considered every single time. It's just so hard. There's so many that are so good. So I understand if your prompt doesn't get picked, how it's like, fuck, damn it, it wasn't good enough. No, it's it's really not that. It's It's just about, I like to, we like to spread the wealth around as well to people who may have not had their prompts incorporated in an episode yet. So we do take that into consideration as well. But also it's about just, you know, just the right prompt for the right day and the right story that we want to tell on that day. Because we don't, we, like I said, we just try to avoid as much fan service-y stuff as possible. All my fantasy children tends to be very conscious of including characters with a diverse array of gender expression and sexual orientation. Was that a day one decision, or is that something that evolved over time? I mean, representation is a huge part of our show, and 
uh, it's something that we've been trying to incorporate since the first episode, really, when we mentioned that, like, Sam Gord's a piece of shit with, like, toxic masculinity in him. We've always kind of wanted to, after that episode, we talked about it, and we were like, I liked that part a lot. We should try to, like, talk about real shit while providing, like, a fun and friendly atmosphere for talking about some real shit and presenting it, like, um, in a, in a not clever way, because that would imply, like, some level of, I don't want to apply some level of deception for when we add in our message, but I want the message to be, like, blaringly obvious without hammering over the head with it its importance because these things are tremendously important that we have in our show it's a huge part of the brand and the focus of all my fantasy children but we want to do so in a really nice way that is beautiful i like to i honestly like to think of it as we try to do it so that it's beautifully done in a way that everyone feels good and that it's not just like some big reveal that a character is gay you know it's or whatever a person's gender identity is. It's, we want to do it so that it's just a part of who they are and a part of their story. And that in telling their story, that will play a part in it, or it might not. It might just be a part of their life that we, that does not have to do with the adventure that they're on. How do you balance the want to make sure that a character is inclusive without turning that inclusiveness into tokenness? We want to tell stories about people in the real world, in our world, that are oftentimes minimalized and trivialized in popular media. We don't go out of our way as if there's some kind of effort involved. It's just, these are just the stories that need to be told. These are things that are, that are people skim over or they hint at or they wink at as if it's some kind of thing that's forbidden in things. So it's not so much a token, it's just... These are characters that need to exist. Uh, it's the whole point of the podcast is for people to feel welcome and included in a conversation and in a fantasy world. And for us to exclude some members of that community that is so often excluded in popular media, I think would be doing a disservice to the entire point of the show. If the whole point of the show is for everyone to have a place where they feel comfortable and welcome, not having characters that reflect the listener and the prompt submitters would be bullshit. It would be a disservice. We wouldn't be accomplishing the goals that we want all my fantasy children to have is where you can go and there are characters where you're like, holy shit, that's, I, I, I lived through that. I, that's me. Um, and the kind of the, the idea from that was for me and myself, uh, kind of the whole thing of Slip Willis hiding their identity and hiding their gender was based on my own feelings and my own uh, struggles with gender identity and figuring out who I am in this world and what I'd like to represent me and what I want to be in this world. And so it's kind of, it really does come from a genuine place of, I wanted to tell the story of me and my own struggles with it. We don't say that we speak for all stories universally and gender identities and sexualities, but we do like to try to tell stories that are not told by almost anyone in popular media. And that bugs us and that chaps our ass. So we try to be as inclusive as possible and tell as many varied stories as possible and try to be as respectful as we possibly can to lives that we don't live ourselves. Have you had any feedback from a listener who hadn't felt their own story represented in the media before who reached out to you and 
let you know that they appreciated it. Yes, uh, we have, and I, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to say that Jeff and I are like, you know, doing the Lord's work and doing something right, and you know that we're some kind of hero. We just like telling stories that involve LGBTQ plus people. Um, it's just kind of our brand. It's kind of who we are. Uh, but yeah, people have told us that they appreciate the amount of stories that we tell that do include. You know, it's the fact that we include people seem to appreciate the fact that we roll on pronouns every single episode. Just a simple action of that, I think something as small as that can go a long way. And that's kind of the whole point is just that it's a little bit can go a long way in terms of that. And it's, I don't know. Yeah, we have gotten people who have uh, thanked us, I guess, for including their story or telling a story that's similar to theirs. Uh, but I'd never want to imply that we're like, yeah, and a lot of people thank us. Like, I'm I'm not pulling anybody out of a burning building. I just want people to know that uh, we care about them and we think about them and that their stories are heard in real life. And we'd like to kind of do our best to honor them by making them a badass in a fantasy world. And if we don't honor them appropriately uh, and we kind of shit the bed and fuck up, then I'm... Um, we will deeply apologize and own up to that every single time. Uh, the imp- improvisational medium is not perfect. And we'll always own up to our mistakes and try to correct them in the future. Have you had any mistakes lately? We have. Uh, we have. Uh, recently, in a, in a recent episode, we did... We, 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 made, we made an uh-oh. We shit the bed. We talked about how uh, gluttony and overconsumption is an aspect of evil, and it was completely unintentional. It was just, we wanted to talk about greed, and we shittily discussed it. We we fucked up. There, like, like I said, though, it's always there's always something to improve upon, and there's always mistakes that are going to be made, and what's important is that we continue to learn from them, and that we grow from them and fix and adjust, and so that we try, we will avoid that in the past, and if we that made someone feel excluded or disrespected. It is not our intention. It is the furthest thing from that. It it eats both of us both alive that that happened, and we will do our best in the future to avoid anything like that. Do you feel the urge to go back and correct it, or do you think it's more important to show your mistakes? Yeah, it's it's definitely important for... Uh, I, I think it's important for the growth of the show and for me and Jeff to own up to it and say that this this episode exists and we are sorry that it it if it made you feel shitty, but we are sorry and we will continue to grow from that. But I I, I think it's sort of we are we would be we wouldn't be owning up to our mistake if we just took it down and acted like it didn't exist. I feel like it would be dishonest. Uh, yeah, I feel like there would be a level of dishonesty of us trying to like sweep something under the rug, which it's it's not something I'm proud of that we made people feel not included or made people feel disrespected to a certain degree about certain things. But I don't want to ever try to like cover my tracks and be like, well, it never happened. And we're perfect people like, no, we we will gladly own up to our mistakes. And do you feel that the Discord is not just important for positive reaction? You feel that it's 
the best place to get an honest opinion. Yeah, I mean, there's always, uh, there's no wrong place to voice your opinion to us. Um, the Discord's a great place to do it because it's just an instant messenger. But if you have an opinion that you'd like to voice through, like, tweeting or something or DM, like, be my guest. Uh, we'll always listen to feedback and we'll always incorporate it. We'll, we'll always listen to feedback and we'll always incorporate it if it's something that affected you negatively. Um, there's never a wrong way to do it. It doesn't have to be, we don't claim to just want our praises sung. If you have criticism and you have feedback, even if it's like, I think it's not funny and you guys suck. I don't give a shit. Tweet it at me. I'm an adult. Um, we can, we can take it. We just want to build from it and improve. If there's one creative aspect of Jeff that you could steal space jam style, what would it be? One, it would be Jeff's ability to feel uh, such a level of, no, what I would steal from Jeff. Jeff is an infinitely compassionate human being. Jeff is a good person. He is a being of light. And it's something that in this show, you know, just by working with him in this show, he's just taught me so much about how to bring joy to things and how to bring joy to people and how to, you know, safely include groups of people and how to just bring happiness to other people. And that is something that I have taken from him and learned from. But if I could steal something Space Jam style and put it in my glowing basketball, it would no doubt be Jeff's ability, uh, Jeff's wellspring of knowledge in terms of like, all sorts of fantasy, like sci-fi and traditional fantasy and just everything. That man knows so much just about life and fictional stuff that if I could take what's in his little finger and like incorporate it into... But then again, I would be too powerful. If Jeff and I collaborated and I had what Jeff had, it would be like two supernovas like exploding into each other. Yeah, I can't sing the man's praises enough that the things that he has taught me about things like uh, like the last episode that when he was like, yep, we just need to own up to our mistakes. Like Jeff is just such an uh, amazingly compassionate, wonderful human being that I would want to steal his knowledge as well as his level of just seeing the good in things because it's such a it's such a big part of our show that we have villains and we have heroes and we have lore and somehow we always manage to kind of flick it and turn it into something. There's some light to it. Even Shao Clown, like the ultimate evil, is made silly as a result and unapproachable topics are made approachable because Jeff just exudes this light about him that makes things positive and makes things happy and makes things approachable. And it's something that I honestly just sit in awe when we talk about things that get heavy or get, you know, a little complicated or get negative. Jeff is so good at just being like, it's it's okay. It's going to be okay. And here's how we can make it okay. And suddenly Samuel Gord is this shithead kid with all these ideas in him that are all the terrible things about being raised a dude. And suddenly, he's a sad elf who there's reasons why he's sad. And maybe he was in low tide. And there's a, there's a truth about things that Jeff can shine on things and a light 
that he can shine that help elucidate even the most complicated issues and the complicated parts of life is Jeff is so good at clarifying those and making sense of them that I wish I had that. With Jeff having taken Party of One to a live setting last year, is there any thought of taking All My Fantasy Children into a live setting? Oh my god, I would love to so much. Uh, there is there is nothing, because me, I'm a theater person. You know, my other job is trying to be an actor in New York City. So if I could perform this show that I love so much, and if I could perform it live with my best friend in the world, that would be like goal achieved. But there just isn't, right now, currently, you know, positive, staying positive, there just isn't a demand for it, which is okay. We're still fairly fresh. But as we continue to reach more people, I'm, I hope that the opportunity arises that we could get people who would want to see you live. Because it's absolutely that's something that Jeff and I would explore doing. We would love to. It's so fun to record. I would love for people to be involved in the process. Because we would take like audience suggestions and shout outs and shit and run with it. It would be a lot of fun. I think we already have a format for it and I think it would be really cool to use. If you and Jeff were to do this live, doing a group cosplay from fantasy, what would you want to be dressed as? I will give a hint as to a future thing, and that's it's going to be a small hint, but uh, it would probably, I would want to do Samuel Gord and Ansel Mindfreak, or Craig Hasterberg and Ansel Mindfreak. Either one of those. Who would be Craig? Oh, God, we would have to flip a coin. I kind of would want to be Ansel Mindfreak, to be honest. I would kind of, I would kind of push Jeff into being Craig Hasterberg, the great wizard. Um, yeah, I would want to be Ansel Mindfreak really bad and be a goth magician bird. If you were doing a one-man play based off one of your characters, which one would you want it to be? Oh, John Pierre, no question. John Pierre, I think, has such an interesting story of, uh, being like a lone gunman on a mission to die and having being now we know he's being pursued by Delta um, going through like a magicless wasteland. I think that would be a really cool story to tell in terms of like John Pierre monologuing as he goes through his quest with the final one being like him about to pull the trigger and then the lights are out because he's dead. And if you could have one prop from the entirety of All My Fantasy Children, what would it be? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, Either Arthur's Great Katana, because that's, I mean, that's like, like cheap, though. That's, of, of course. Um, I would, I'd probably, not the Lone Star, that'd be cool, though. A prop, oh boy. Oh, I want the Messenger Sword. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'm going to start wrapping things up, but before I do, I'm going to ask you some questions from the Pivo questionnaire, pioneered by Bernal Pivot. What is your favorite word? I thought about this a lot, uh, and I think my favorite word. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say fantasy. I really am. What is your least favorite word? Failure. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? 
um, good collaborators and, uh, de- yeah, definitely good collaborators where you can just say anything and they're totally cool with it and they'll bounce it back off you and you can build something that gets me really cooking. When you're thinking of fantasy in general, what really gets you in the creative mood? Um, caffeine, <laughs> but, uh, I start thinking, I start asking myself questions. I'm like, it's sort of, uh, I start asking like, why? Like, Madame Mysteria has a book. Why? Um, where, why does that happen? It's sort of like I trace the thread. I start pulling the thread back and seeing where it started from. Like what the cloth was that the thread I now have in my hand is from. And I start just tracing back and back and back. And that's why I'm so obsessed with writing this lore is because we established so much. And yeah, I, I like, tracing back, backstepping, going back and trying to figure out why X happened. So sort of just asking questions of why did this happen and who is this and why are they doing this? Have you ever had anything that you had come up with on your own during one of these brainstorming sessions that you had to hide your disappointment when Jeff decided to take it a different direction? Oh, Oh, hell yeah. There are tons. But I mean, I don't hide it. But I mean, yeah, I'm secretly super disappointed. But but also, it's uh, not as much disappointed because Jeff knows what's best for the show. And if it's not used, it's because it's not what's best for the show. But let me see. Let me give me a sec, actually. I have something. I have stuff, a lot of stuff written. Um, Yeah, there are a lot of things about the relics of the world that we've thrown around, and there's some that just got node, and I was like, oh, okay. And then we've built something as a result of that that's even better, that TBD, TB revealed. But yeah, I was kind of, I was crestfallen, but then we actually came up with something a lot better. What turns you off? Pretty much like disrespect of ideas, uh, like a closed off collaborator or someone who's just not even giving you the time of day or thinking that something is silly, thinking that um, like, oh, that's a stupid idea. It's like, no, this is a world of infinite possibilities. It can be anything we want it to be. So someone who, a naysayer uh, and someone who kind of just tries to like dominate the suggestion box is, ugh, that's the worst. That is the pits. What is your favorite curse word to hear from Jeff? Um, fuck. There's no question it's fuck. Jeff saying fuck is so hilarious because it's always like fuck or like fuck. What the fuck? It's never like me. I just throw those words around. But for Jeff, it's usually a lot funnier when he's like, what the fuck is going on? It's so hilarious. Yeah, it's no question the F word. What sound or noise do you love? Running water, a babbling brook, or like a river, when you can really hear the water flowing. I think it's the most serene, peaceful, and just, it honestly gets me in the mood to like start writing or thinking about stuff. It clears my mind a little bit, as corny as that sounds. Is there a spot in the real world that you go to? Yeah, to do all my inking. Yeah, lately it's been uh, there's a there's a coffee shop in New York in Soho called La Colombe, where I get their cold brew and I like today I did it. I wrote out a shit ton of stuff about elves for like ninety minutes. 
um, I sat and I got caffeinated and I got thinking and I started thinking about what's going on with them. And so, yeah, there are several, it's usually coffee shops, but now I have one in particular that has a lot of sunlight and I like to just sit there and just drift off and think about stuff with my little purple notebook. What sound or noise do you hate? Oh, I don't like when, uh, like guys yell. Like when you know someone's about to fight and men start yelling, like, oh, fuck you, bro. Oh, you want to step to me? I, I, I It's my least favorite thing in the world. I get really stressed out and I'm like, oh, I got to go home. I'm going to walk away and run. Yeah, I hate it. And you always hear it in the city and it really stresses me out. What character creation system would you like to attempt? Hmm. Oh, I would like to attempt some kind of sci-fi character creator because I suck at sci-fi. I don't know enough about it. I'm like, I've, my whole life has been like pretty standard, like fantasy, fantasy between like Final Fantasy is like steampunky sort of, but sometimes, but I am bad at Star Wars and sci-fi worlds, but I'd like to get a lot better. So that's something I'd like to attempt just to kind of challenge myself to see what kind of, see what I can do in that department. What type of character creation system would you not like to attempt? Oh, one that doesn't have a lot of like wiggle room. Uh, I don't have any specifics that I would like to like throw shade at, but one that doesn't, there are some that don't let you uh, expand and like create something that's all your own. Like I like creating variants of job classes, of character classes, and some that don't, where it's like, nope, you're a warrior, you get angry, you go into a bloodlust, and you do more damage. I'm like, that's so boring. So things like that and character creation that's like, you come from a town that was destroyed by orcs. And you're like, that's it? Fuck. Or like when you have limited options. Character creators that have limited options. I, I, blech, I abhor them. When All My Fantasy Children concludes, what would you like to hear from the listeners? Um, what else you got? Or we want more. Um, let's do something new. I think something like that. Yeah. Let's go on a new adventure. If you could travel back in time to watch one person sneeze, who would it be? Genghis Khan. In a particular scenario? Um, yes. I want to see Genghis Khan... Okay, this is, this is, yeah, I want to see Genghis Khan squatting in a field of flowers, bending down to smell a flower in a region that he's never been before, and the native pollen of that region just does not react to him well, and he goes into, like, a sneezing, allergic, like, allergic reaction fit and just, like, sneezing nonstop, and everyone kind of points and laughs, but they can't, so put him just in a sneezing fit, uncontrollable, like, boogers running out of his nose. <laughs> I tried to say that as seriously as possible. If you were in a situation where you had to take over the life of one of your fantasy children, which one would you want it to be and which one would you not want it to be? Ooh, that's a good one. I would want to be... I would want to be Amy. Um, I love the idea that she has this weird dimensional jumping power where you can be anyone for just a night, but you come back to your own body. 
and then you end up in like a cool fantasy world and you have a complete knowledge of ours. So yeah, I would say I would want to be Amy, but I don't want to be Arthur or Swiftwind. Definitely not Arthur, reasons to be revealed. Um, but let's say I don't want to be... Yeah, Swiftwind, they've got it rough. I don't, I don't, I don't want that responsibility. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds tough. Where can the insiders find out more about you? Oh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Catano, C-A-T-A-N-O. And uh, All My Fantasy Children is on iTunes, SoundCloud, and our Twitter handle is AMFC underscore podcast. And our Gmail is allmyfantasychildren at gmail.com. Send your prompts, spam away. Thanks for joining us inside the Master Studio today. Thank you for having me inside the Master Studio. You can follow this show at ITMS underscore podcast on Twitter. Head over to AudioEntropy.com to find more. AudioEntropy is proud to introduce the latest podcast, D-Comedy, a podcast where siblings Luke and Emma review Disney Channel original movies. Akatacon 2017 also has its Kickstarter for this year running. Akatacon is a three-day gaming convention at the Dayton Convention Center in Dayton, Ohio, on the weekend of Veterans Day, November 10th through the 12th. I've been your host, Moon Rules, and remember, it takes a prompt to raise a fantasy child, so send yours in to at amfc underscore podcast on Twitter. Twitter.